This morning, we're looking at a particular issue. Last week, we looked at the general parenting. We're looking at a specific responsibility, the parent's responsibility in terms of school choices. It's an important issue, and you'll see as we uh, delve into it how important it is. This passage in Deuteronomy unites us in a common goal. And then we'll turn to Romans 14 and 15 and talk about how we deal with our personal convictions about how God will lead us in the particular areas. Let's read Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Heavenly Father, give us this love for you that is a responsive love. We don't start it. We don't reach and find you. You have reached and found us by, in your great love, sending your Son into the world, who in his great love laid down his life on our behalf that we would be forgiven of our sins. We thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to quicken our hearts to make us alive spiritually that we would want to embrace Christ as Savior and Lord and be able uh, to follow him. We praise you for this, and you have given us a love for you that responds to your love for us. Father, we pray that it would be contagious, that we would impress this on our children and our children's children, that they would grow up to know you through faith in Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit that they would love you in response to your love for them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Yesterday, in in the devotions we use uh, at home, Mary and I are reading in the second volume of Voices from the Past. The devotion ended with a theme that we've been pursuing all year. Our theme from the fall study in Daniel to the winter study in Second Peter about living on earth as citizens of heaven and then looking at specific issues. If you're new this morning, we don't generally just take topical issues. We generally follow passages in Scripture. And I think that is, is right to have that as the meat and potatoes of what we do, that the Scripture would set the agenda for us. This is just a very occasional time where we stop to address specific issues. So we're looking at school choices this morning. We're talking about how we raise our children. Deuteronomy has reminded us that our calling is to raise our children, to impress upon our children that we should love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. We fail to do that. So that call to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind drives us to the cross. It drives us to the gospel of Christ where we find forgiveness of our failure to do that. Our failure to love one another, our failure in so many different ways. We fall short of the glory of God. But we love him because he's loved us still. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so uh, that's the call. That's what we want to impress on our children. It leads them to Christ and to to the cross. 
Well, our devotional yesterday said this. Keep your love in heaven while living in the world. Left right out at me, living on earth as citizens of heaven. Keep your love in heaven while living in the world. Don't let worldly cares choke your sense of God. Bring your natural desires into a narrow compass. Your natural desires are appropriate, but they need to be under the authority of God. And let your hearts be enlarged toward God. Let us love nothing greatly but what we shall love forever. Never thought about it quite that way before. Let me repeat that. Let us love nothing greatly but what we shall love forever. If you greatly love something that will be lost, you'll be disappointed in love. Let us love nothing greatly but what we shall love forever. And let us labor after the highest strain of love to God. This is what we have. We need to receive for ourselves the love of God expressed in Christ. We need to be filled with love in response to him. This is what we want to impress on our children. It's not just a narrow ethic of go to church and try to be good. It's not the the fussing at them for you got to do right and don't do wrong or don't embarrass me. That's, That's not the point. What we want to do is raise them up to love the Lord their God, the Lord our God. And this is a church community thing to do. This message is not just for those who are raising children right now. See, when you think of parents' choices and school, you think, well, this was not for me. I'm way past that stage. Or I'm not at that stage. I'm single. I'm not even married. Or I don't have children. You think, this isn't for me. Well, this command was in Deuteronomy 6 was not addressed to individual particular families. Certainly it has an expression in your own home. But this was to the community of the people of God. This was to all Israel, impress these things on your children, on the next generation and the generation after that. We as a whole church family are called to pray for and desire that we have opportunity and engage with the next generation and our children's children to grow up, to love God in this way, and to discover the grace of God in the gospel. That's our calling as a church, as well as reaching out to the world to bring new people, new families into the household of God so that they can do the same. This week I got an email from Becky Boone, our children's ministry director, just laying out the schedule for children's church. Now we, as a church community, have so many opportunities. We have vacation Bible school and missions camp this week, and many of you are engaged Uh, In that, I hope, as Becky sent out kind of an emergency call for a couple of more volunteers last week, that that need was abundantly filled. I hope and pray that that was the response. I didn't ask her before the service if she had that. But uh, we have opportunity with Sunday school. With Children's Church, when it, during the, the sermon, in the second service, our children go out and are taught a, a lesson that is often in line with what we're talking about on Sunday mornings, but just a very simple point. We have as a church opportunity to show our love for God and our love for them, to be contagious to them, that they would so grow up 
loving God. They're taught at their level. But in the schedule, the first week it was Becky Boone and her good friend Emily Ellinghausen as the first pair. The second week was the Boones. The Boones are Becky's parents. The last week, the fourth week, was Harry and Mary Long, your senior pastor and wife. And when I'm preaching, I can't go back with Mary. She corrals somebody else in with her. There was only one family that didn't have staff relationship engaged in ministry of children's ministry. We have many who are willing to step in and, and sub when needed, so there's a willing heart there. But even so, this should not be. We have the privilege as a church. It takes a village. Oh, don't let Hillary Clinton steal that line from you. It's true. It takes a church community to impress on their children and children's children. You parents are not by yourselves. You have all of us to help raise your children to impress upon them the love of God. I hope that after bringing this to your attention, that Becky Boone has so many people asking, how can I help with children's church, that it's just overwhelming. So uh, let's see how that goes. Hear it from Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is our common goal. It's a common anxiety, too, about how to do that, how we raise our children. And we will look this morning at the particular issue of school choices. Uh, Public school, private school, homeschool, Christian school. How we raise our children, how we teach them. Boy, when you're a parent, you care about your children so much and you want to do right by that, don't you? It's not a new concern. When my father proposed to my mother, she wasn't my mother at the time and he wasn't my father at the time, but they were in Tallahassee. He said, will you marry me? And she hesitated. He didn't know why she hesitated. She didn't know why she hesitated. But the fact that she hesitated brought uncertainty to everybody because my mother didn't know, is it because I don't really love him the way I should? Or my, and my father said to her, we know each other well enough. I have to be back at Wheaton College on Friday. If, I can't, if you can't give me an answer by then, that will be my answer. She couldn't give him an answer by Friday. He went back to Wheaton College and After his passing, we found his diary. Be careful about that, folks, when you keep a diary. He kept it like a pilot's log, though. And um, I found in his uh, diary uh, this uh, message. Let's see, where was it here? This was after he got to Wheaton. He said, I saw Harry, that's my uncle, Harry, that I was named after, Jim and the fellows, 5.15 p.m. Harry received special delivery from Catherine, who's my, my mother, enclosing one to me. Some surprise, a real one, hard to believe. Date with Virginia Bell to church. He didn't let any grass grow under his feet. Virginia Bell was Ruth Bell Graham's sister at Wheaton. It was to church. But what had happened was this. After my father went back to Wheaton, she realized that the reason she hesitated was that just instinctively, as the daughter of a businessman who was able to open doors of education for her, she thought, if I marry a minister, we won't be able to educate our children properly. I don't know what pastors and families they have, but 
I have no wherewithal, no means to open doors of education. And once she realized that was her hesitation, she knew that was something to just trust God with. He loves us. He loves our children more than we do. Trust God with that. She knew I can trust God with that. And that means I know I love George Long. And she said, yes. She wrote him this letter and said, yes. And my father said, hard to believe. Date with Virginia Bell to church. But a few days later, he wrote this. He said, I'm really studying hard, believe it or not, on the term paper, one of many this semester. Letters from Kitten, his nickname for Catherine, are exclamation point, exclamation point. Instead of question mark, question mark, I'm beginning to believe it. Underneath all of this was a little bit of anxiety and concern. How can we raise up our children? How can we educate our children? How can we open doors to them? And my mother realized, trust God with that. That's the first call. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Trust him with these things. He knows the opportunities he's going to give to you. He knows the resources he would provide for you. He knows the kinds of of skills you have as parents. He knows the kinds of needs your children will have. He knows all of these things. Trust him with that. There are scary things about it, but we can agree what draws us together in common is that we want to raise all of our children, whatever the school choice would be, to impress upon them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the only way we can come into that relationship with God is through the grace of God expressed for us us in Jesus Christ through faith in him and by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our common goal. Now let's get to the, the choices. There are essentially four roads you can take. Public school, private school, Christian school, or homeschooling. Know why you do what you do. Turn with me now to Romans chapter 14 and 15. This is a passage that doesn't mention school. The New Testament doesn't talk specifically about public, private, Christian, or homeschooling. It just says impress these things on your children. We have decisions to make applying principles of Scripture. But in Romans 14 and 15, the first half of 15, it's talking about two other issues that are issues of debate, issues of personal conviction and concern, where Paul is telling the Christians, accept one another and do not look down on one another over these choices. The two issues are food. Do you eat meat or not eat meat? And the other one is the Sabbath. Do you keep the Sabbath a schedule? It's probably the, Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath, the seventh day, or every day uh, alike. Those were the two issues that divided, and Paul didn't castigate one or the other. He said uh, this in Romans 14, 5, one man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you should Pray through, earnestly think through why you're doing what you're doing and incorporate it into the purpose of you want to raise up your children to love God through the grace of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Think about it so that you know why you're doing what you're doing. 
there are pros and cons to every choice. And there's way too limited a time on, on the morning to exhaustively talk about all the pros and cons. I mean, you can spend forever on that. We, you need to think it through, though, and realize that there are pros and cons to every uh, circumstance. Our personal track was we, our kids went to public school and then to Christian school and then back uh, to public school and then to, to Christian college. That was the, the personal track that God led us uh, with our kids. There are pros to that and there are cons uh, to that. We, we thought that in the, the pros that we needed more than one authority figure than more than us with our kids. It's nice to have another authority figure out there that we could teach our kids how to respond to that authority figure. And we knew that the world is out there, so we did public school, then we did Christian school, because in the Christian school, the the school itself will basically be in agreement with us about Christ and the gospel and provide that kind of environment. And then the door, it really closed on that, and we sent our kids back to public school and with some fear and trepidation, because here's what happens. It's sort of like you, when you're not in a particular track, you can read about the horror stories of the other tracks. You see? It's like reading the, the newspaper, and if all you knew about downtown Richmond was what showed up in the newspaper, would you ever want to go downtown? It's only the crimes, the bad stuff that shows up. It's the bad news that's, that's emphasized. So you hear that stuff and you assume there's not a lot of common grace out there, not a lot of, of, of good stuff going on too. And we were blessed in, in that track. But then we thought, send our kids off to college instead of, you know, we'll go send them to a college that agrees with us when they get away from home. That, that was our track. And then in our presbytery, I'm on the, the committee for Reformed University uh, Ministries, Reformed University Fellowships in our various uh, college campuses. And I got to interview people that were at uh, University of uh, Virginia or Virginia Tech or other universities that would go to be uh, interns for RUF and other places. And I would see how they had the privilege of standing for Christ in a place that wasn't just the, the mainstream of a Christian college. And they had a kind of fiber and spine built into them and their commitment to Christ that was holy and wonderful. You see, there are many ways that God can raise up people to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And we as a church back you up that it's your responsibility as parents to make that choice. It's not the session's responsibility to say this is the best track. There was a time that we thought we might be able to get the land next door that now we have the privilege of having a community of people in the Atlantic that are part of our congregation. We get to minister to them. It's great to have them as neighbors. But when it was just empty land, I had the vision in my mind that we can get that land. If we can get that land, we can have facilities for a school and we can have a Christian school. Because I still believe in the value of that. But it's not the only track. And maybe God protected us from getting into it where that's the only way to do it with our congregation. Maybe that was why, maybe in my attitude, I would, I would have been an obnoxious pastor about that. Because I was really excited about developing that. Know why you do what you do. Be fully convinced in your own mind. But then there are a couple of more uh, bits of instruction here. When you know why you do what you do, it's easy to become critical of those who don't agree with you or don't do the same track. It's easy. 
And so look how many verses in this passage Paul has to commit to don't look down on one another. Verses 3 and 4. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. The man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or fall, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Then verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. The reason he has to repeat it so much is that it's so much our human nature to when we think it through, when we figure out what, is, what God is leading us to do in our families with our kids, to think, if somebody disagrees with me, i got to convince them. i got to make sure they, they agree. And if they don't do it, they're not doing it right. It's that last step that just divides. And Paul is saying, on both sides of the issues he's addressing, let each be fully convinced in his own mind, but don't look down on one another. We've had people on all sides of this issue come to me over the years and say, I feel like an outsider because I'm doing this. In one case, it may be those who are homeschooling coming in saying, I feel like an outsider. I feel like you know, people are, look at me like, why are you doing that weird thing? We have to affirm no, God has given you the responsibility. You know what's best in your family with your resources and your opportunities and your children and your gifts and your abilities. We support you in that. And in another case, another time, somebody would come and say, our kids go to public school. I feel like people think we're not really being Christian parents. It's interesting how we're in a, this is a pretty loving and affirming church, too. There's not a lot of contention and criticism uh, going on out there. Even with all of that, the undercurrent on this issue has often been, I feel like people are disapproving of what I'm doing. I would call you, if it is in your heart that you look down on someone else, hear the word of God. And it's repeated over and over and over and over in this passage. Don't do that but if it's not in your heart to be that way then go the extra mile and affirm cross that line when someone is in a different track say look you pray for my kids i pray for yours let's stay banded together as parents on this issue and here's what happens no matter what track you take they're going to be kids that turn out rebelling drifting from the faith wandering away and it's easy then to say, well, you see, if they'd just done this. No, 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 no. Every track has that. And we'll get to that at the end uh, of, of this message, that it is God's work to take whatever strategy we have to make it come alive uh, spiritually. So don't be critical. Also, then, don't feel criticized. Romans 15, 5 through 7 uh, says this. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement 
give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Jesus Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. And you say, well, that passage doesn't exactly say don't feel criticized. And there are two ways to take don't feel criticized. The first is this way. When you're being critical, that, yeah, I do a lot of counseling, yeah, just even in my own yeah, marriage. If I am saying something and uh, yeah, Mary responds to it like she's being criticized, if I, if I say don't feel criticized when I've criticized, that goes over like a lead balloon. It doesn't work. It's like, I, just, I said something offensive. Don't be offended. So when, when I tell you as a current, don't feel criticized, and you say, but I am criticized. I know I'm criticized. So I, let me tell you how I was criticized. You don't know. You can't tell me don't feel criticized. But here's where we go. It says, accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Just as Christ accepted you. Consider the example of Christ when he was paying for our sins and he was on that cross. What did he say? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I can just imagine the Apostle John, who we know is at the cross because Jesus pointed him out, thinking to himself when he heard Jesus say, for they know not what they do, saying, they know exactly what they're doing. Those soldiers are driving nails into his hands and into his feet. That soldier thrust a spear into his side. They put a crown of thorns on him. They're mocking Jesus. They know exactly what they're doing. So what did Jesus mean when he said they know not what they do? They didn't know the depths of their sin in crucifying the Son of God who is actually paying the penalty of sin. They didn't understand it all. It didn't mean they didn't intend to hurt him. So you can take a, a real criticism and follow the example of Christ and say, Father, forgive them and help me to forgive them. They don't understand how hard that makes it for me in my circumstance or how that makes me feel like an outsider. They don't, they don't get the damage that it's doing. So if you forgive them, enable me to forgive them. And that way... See, we're, not, we're less than perfect people. We can still hang together as a church. We can still love each other as a church. Peter said love covers a multitude of sins, and I think it's this kind of sin. When we're trying to explain, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing, and you should be too, and why aren't you acting like a real Christian? Why, why aren't you taking seriously your responsibility as Christian parents? Or why don't you trust God while you send your kids out into the world? You can't trust God enough for that? you realize how critical that can sound? Now, you may have a critical heart in saying that. You're right. If you're on the receiving end of that, say, Father, forgive them and enable me to always forgive. And to let love cover a multitude of sins. They're just excited about what they do. And they're, they're going over. But there is a second uh, aspect of don't feel criticized. That if it's okay to be convinced in your own heart and mind... And when you, the subject comes up, you give a, if somebody asks or, or you want to explain, this is why I'm doing this, 
as you explain your reasons, you're not intending it as a put-down. You fully support what I'm saying, that it's each parent's responsibility. And you're not trying to put them down, but it can still feel like a put-down. Try to understand. Don't feel criticized when somebody else is just explaining their reasons for why they do what they do. Don't be that thin-skinned about it. Our culture has gotten so thin-skinned, everything's in offense. As Christians, we should be able to say, by the grace of Christ, who forgave people from the cross, we can have the thickest skins ever because I'm secure in Christ. And I'm not going to take it. As a, I don't need to feel criticized, even if they're disagreeing, even if they're pushing it on me. But most of the time, they're not. Just let them explain what they're doing. Let me think about it and learn from it. And God may use that to, to feed my decisions, too. But don't be threatened by that. So don't uh, feel criticized in doing what you do. Finally, remember, you're just laying the kindling. God has to light the fire. Whatever the strategy is in raising your children up to impress upon them, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. They they would learn their failure to do that. It would drive them to Jesus and the cross so that by faith they may receive him as Lord and Savior and then learn to love him in response to God's love for them. Whatever your strategy is on that, your goal is that they would come to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. But guess what? That's not yours to accomplish. Elijah in the Old Testament challenged the prophets of Baal to this uh, kind of face-off. It would have been a great reality TV show. There had been TV back then. But he had the prophets of Baal lay a fire and to pray that God, their God, uh, Baal, would light the fire. And they prayed and they started cutting themselves and they wailed and then finally they gave up. They were worn out. Elijah built uh, the fire. He laid the wood. He poured water over it to make it absolutely sure it was not a trick. It was going to be a work of God. He laid that wood and then he prayed to God. God lit the fire. You cannot make your children have faith that is the work of God in their lives and that takes away a lot of the arrogance that we might have over if you just do it this way then your children will turn out that way you see and 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 we can start saying this is my strategy what's yours let's band together and pray whatever our strategies would be that God would light the fire and when he does it is something to behold when he doesn't we keep on witnessing. We keep on laying the kindling. We keep on shaping the wood. We say, Lord, help me to, to point them to Christ lovingly and graciously, never giving up. All the water may seem to be poured out over this altar. It may seem like it's absolutely hopeless, but it's never hopeless with you. Let's pray for one another as a church that way, as we as a church community would raise our children up to love the Lord their God, our God, with all their heart, all their soul, all their strength, and all their might. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would do this work. It is your work. We are tools in your hands. You call us and give us responsibilities. We work it out. We are convinced in our own minds in a conscientious way as as followers of Christ that this is what you would lead us to do. Uh, There are sometimes that the, the doors just seem closed to things we might rather do, but they're closed. That's of your will, too. And you know what's best. But, Father, I pray that you would not let us place our hope in our strategies, 
that we would realize we're just laying the kindling. We pray to you to light the fire and do the work to give our next generations and the generation after that the conviction of sin that would lead them to the love of God demonstrated at the cross to pay for that sin and that they would embrace the Lord Jesus uh, and be made whole in such a way that they would love you with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. We pray that you would do that work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.